Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us as we try to find some more answers to your questions. This is your program. We let you decide what we talk about, and then we try to answer your questions as quickly as we can each week. Uh, there's a phone number and a website you can see on your screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us. Uh, we'll take direct questions about this verse or that verse or this doctrine or that one. What's this uh, mean in the Bible? And we just get a whole lot of uh, personal kind of questions where folks are uh, raising their family and sending kids to school and dealing with all the things that happen in this life, trying to pay their bills and uh, keep up with the news and see what's going on in this crazy world. And sometimes we just think, what's the Bible think about all that? And we'll try to find you an answer to those kind of questions. If you've got a current event that you wonder about, uh, we'll see if the Bible has a principle in it that helps you understand that. So anything that might come from the Bible, we're happy to try to find it for you. Phone number, website, anytime, tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. Let me introduce Toby Levering. He's back to study with us today. Hi, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're going to try to answer some questions today. Uh, but we always let our viewing audience have one first. And our question for you is, what was Joseph's trade? And this is Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. We'll talk about, uh, give you that answer at the end of the program. Uh, what was his trade or occupation? All right, Toby, I think you drew the first one, so we'll let you get us started. Yes, this viewer asks a pastoral question. <laughs> Our pastor says he is an ordained minister with Christ's authority, so he can forgive sins. I don't think that sounds right. Does the Bible give him that authority? <laughs> well, I really like how you, uh, the viewer comes to this question. Uh, first, he or she uses common sense and says, I don't think that sounds right. Then beyond what they think or feel, uh, they say, what does the Bible say? And that's the best kind of question to ask. And I'll just answer directly. The Bible uh, does not say that your pastor has the authority uh, to forgive sins. Um, only God can do that through Jesus Christ. And that was the only um, person who was ever able to forgive sins. In fact, Jesus one time, uh, when he healed a man, he healed a man and... Um, he was paralyzed, and they said, or he told the man, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees said, oh, that's blasphemy. No one can forgive sins. And then he said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk. And the man then took up his mat and began walking around, and Jesus showed he had the authority to not only heal the man, but to forgive sins. But the Pharisees understood, everyone understands, that no one can forgive sins uh, but God alone. Now, uh, if you're asking, and maybe maybe you misunderstood, the pastor 
uh, you know, a pastor might be a person to get counsel from or to get uh, advice from uh, as long as it's biblical and as long as it goes by God's principles, I think that's fine. But if they're in a position where they're saying, you have to come through me to get forgiveness of sins, uh, they're heading in the wrong direction. Uh, and certainly that's not anything found in the Bible. Um, so let's, uh, I'm going to give you some verses to read. First Peter, these are not on your screen, but for verses that you wanted to know about, you can look up at home. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 5, Hebrews chapter 7 verses 23 through 25, and First John 2, 1 and 2. And then I've got one for you on the screen, and that's John chapter 14 verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, uh, insightful question. And keep asking those kind of questions, by the way. Always check with your Bible. Figure out what it says. So. All right. Good answer. And I agree with all that. Uh, when we get questions like that that are second or actually third hand. Yeah, yeah, third exactly. hand now. I always think, <laughs> well, I wonder if the pastor right. really said that yeah. or if it's just the way somebody took it. Uh, and we, we admit that when we hear things second, yeah. third, and fourth hand, we, we don't know all the facts. Uh, but one thing I did think of is a preacher or an elder in the church or someone might tell somebody that I don't think you're really repentant. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, it seems to me uh, that you just saying, well, okay, I'm sorry, yeah. and not doing anything about it, not showing any fruits of repentance. Uh, that I'm not sure you're forgiven. Yeah. You know, they might give that kind of counsel. And it might come across as I've got the authority to forgive or something. But uh, assuming our viewers got exact it right what the pastor said, then you answered it just right. Mm. <laughs> All right, question about healing. And the viewer wants to know, does God still heal people? And my answer to that is yes. Uh, he certainly still does heal people. Uh, that's why we pray. Uh, if we didn't think God would heal people and uh, do things, we wouldn't ask him to. Uh, but we pray all the time for people that are sick, that need a special healing. Uh, we have a prayer chain at church that uh, the emails go out and just every day. There are many on there that uh, uh, some of them are pretty simple things we think. You know, this uh, child has a, uh, the flu or something like that. And some of them are extremely, extremely tragic kind of situations. And we pray for all of them. Uh, we expect God to answer our prayers and pray that He will. Of course, He answers them at His will. Uh, he can uh, and does still heal. He chooses His method, whatever His method is. Uh, sometimes it's through a doctor. Sometimes it's through medicine. Uh, sometimes it's through something that is beyond understanding. Uh, the doctor has told a person that this is going to happen and there's no way around it. Uh, that tumor is going to do this or that. And after we pray and the next time they look, they say, I can't explain it. The, the tumor is not there or uh, something like that has happened. Uh, so, yes, God does still heal and that's why we pray. Now, the reason some people ask that question of us is we also get questions about the gift of healing uh, that the Holy Spirit gave in the first century and want to know, does that still exist? No, God doesn't heal that way anymore. Uh, he used to give a person the power through touch or just saying or whatever to instantaneously, completely uh, heal uh, somebody with a genetic or uh, uh, organic disease and be able to just say you're healed. Uh, Toby was just talking about that kind of thing. 
the gift of healing where one person has that power doesn't exist anymore. And some people will say, well, how, how can you be sure of that? Well, if somebody has that power, instead of demonstrating it at meetings where they charge uh, people to come see them heal or uh, making money in big meetings, they ought to be in the hospitals cleaning the hospitals out uh, if that gift really exists. Uh, but we don't believe it does. But yes, we certainly believe that God heals today and we pray to Him for healings and we can give you example after example of uh, things that we call miraculous. We just don't know how He did it, uh, but He did it. So yes, we believe in God healing. Yeah, you're right. The there are several charlatans who <laughs> make uh, uh, just a terrible living uh, exploiting folks, and yeah. that's. I don't think there's near as many as there used to be when, yeah. when yeah. I, I was a kid. There yeah. were a bunch of them that traveled around sure. and their, uh, their tents and would set up in different towns and heal people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. A uh, <clears throat> viewer asked the question specifically a vocabulary question. How long is a furlong? I guess this would be a, a measurement question, not a vocabulary question. <laughs> well, a, a furlong is a Greek unit of measurement. I had to look it up. It's equal to 606 feet and 9 inches, a uh, little more than an eighth of a mile. Now, we don't talk much in that language anymore. And the, the, the word furlong is found in the uh, original King James Version, and that's the only time that it's uh, used as far as my uh, knowledge of the English translations. Uh, it's used about five times in the Bible as I could find it in Luke, John, uh, and uh, twice in John and twice in Revelation and once in Luke. And so that's where it's found and that's the measurement of it. Most modern translations uh, put that over in the English uh, equivalent of how many miles that was instead of the number of <coughs> furlongs. But if you're studying the King James and you come across that word, that's, uh, that's what it is, just about an eighth of a mile. Sometimes a footnote will have that Hmm. measurement as well in the study all Bibles. Right. I don't so. know how long a furlong was. I'm going to use that I, now. <laughs> Do all the furlong conversions. Well, Wichita, north-south mile is yep. eight blocks. Yep. So There's a, a furlong. Block's about a furlong. Yep. So That's right. I never knew a block was a furlong long. It's amazing the things that you'll learn on this program. <laughs> we're, we're helpful. <laughs> all right. Let me talk about studying the Bible for more important things than just learning how long a furlong is. Uh, everything we need for life and godliness is in the Bible. And uh, that's why we advocate home Bible study and why we recommend some uh, Bible study tools, materials that we're happy uh, to send to you absolutely free of charge and let you study the Bible at home. We've got a number of courses uh, that we're happy to send you. We've got one basic one you see now that's got eight lessons in it. And it uh, take you, well, you can take as long as you want or go as fast as you want on this. Uh, some people get them and immediately answer all the questions and send it right back and they want another one so they can keep going one a week or so. Uh, and some people take a lot longer and that's fine. You go at your own speed and uh, go through this course and when you're done with that we've got some more advanced courses that uh, we think are great ways to study the Bible, great way to form a regular habit of Bible study by having something to do and keep you accountable and staying in your Bible and you'll learn a lot of Bible with uh, Know Your Bible study tools. 
I don't know if any of them teach how long a furlong is, but uh, you that's learn a lot. Have to watch this program. <laughs> yeah, <for that>. you <laughs> learn a lot of important things in uh, Know Your Bible Study materials. So, uh, <laughs> phone number, website, use either one of them. Get in touch with us and let us know what you'd like us to. Uh, we'll send you that course immediately. All right, let's see. We've got one here about baptism. If you've never been baptized, does that mean you won't go to heaven? Well. Uh, standard disclaimer here, let me make sure you understand, uh, we are not in the judgment business. Uh, that's not what we're on the air for, that's not what we do anywhere, uh, here or at uh, Northside Church of Christ or in, in private or anything. We don't make judgments that, yep, that person's in and that person's out. Uh, that's not our assignment, that's not our uh, business in life is to make those kind of judgments. Uh, I will say this, and this is very clear in the Bible, uh, those people who are going to heaven are in Christ. Christ is coming back to take his people to heaven. Uh, only those in Christ are going to heaven. To get into Christ, the Bible teaches very clearly, that happens at baptism. We are baptized into Christ. Paul said that in Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ. That's the only way the Bible says to get into Christ is to be baptized. Acts 2.38 says baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, that's how you get sins forgiven. And I could read verse after verse that tells at baptism is when all those good things happen. Uh, but God is God, Jesus is coming back for his people, those that are in him and that belong to him. And... Uh, you get into him by being baptized. Let me show you one example in the Bible that I think uh, will help you make your own decision about this. Uh, it's in Acts chapter 22, and the preacher said, What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Uh, let's think about what happened there. The apostle Paul, who was at that time just Saul, uh, persecuting Christians, thought he had done everything right. He had followed the old law perfectly. He didn't violate any laws, he said. He said his conscience was perfect. He had met Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus. He had fasted and prayed for three days. He had been miraculously healed of the blindness that he had. Now, all of those things are amazing testimonies to how God was working in his life. And most of those today we would say, whoa, he, he's got to be a, a Christian. If that's how he's dealing with Jesus and with God, he's, he's somebody special. He's surely going to heaven. But the preacher told him he still had a sin problem. He hadn't gotten rid of his sins. They hadn't been washed away yet because he had not been baptized. So in Acts twenty-two sixteen, the preacher very clearly said, what are you waiting for? He said, it's the one last thing you need to do. Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins. So I hope that answers your question. That's biblical teaching. Uh, we're not in the judgment business, but we are commanded to teach what the Bible says. And we hope we do that accurately and in love. But that's what the Bible says. All right, Toby. Yes, a viewer has a question about prayer. Is it okay to pray in silence? And when should you pray out loud? Well, uh, to answer the question, I think it's not only okay, I think it's something that all Christians should do and must do as they 
uh, grow in their relationship with the Lord. Prayer is that communication line with God. And the <laughs> scriptures not only tell us to pray, uh, not just to pray for ourselves, but to pray for others, to pray for those in leadership, to pray for things to happen. I mean, it, it's, our, it's essential. It's a, it's a lifeline. And so I don't think there's any reason why a Christian would not pray. In fact, I think most prayer is probably silent. First um, Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray continually. Well, <clears throat> to me, uh, that prayer is this sort of uh, inward dialogue with God, directed to God, and done in a way that's sincere and reverent. As people come to mind, we pray for them. As situations come to mind, we pray for them. As situations in our lives come, come up, we pray for ourselves. We ask for wisdom. Uh, that's part of praying continually. Now, I think much of that is done silently and you know, without our lips moving, and that's fine because that, you know, if it's prayers are communication with God, uh, He's understanding the language of our heart, and that's where prayer comes from. More often we get in trouble uh, when we just go through the, the motions and uh, just let words travel across our lips that have no meaning. Jesus chastised the people of His day. He said, uh, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, the viewer asked the question, when should you pray out loud? And my answer to that is, is when someone is leading a group of people in a public prayer session uh, to direct the minds and hearts so that all of those individuals are focused and praying on the same thing intentionally. So that's certainly uh, fine to do. That was certainly something that early Christians did. In fact, I love the verse that says uh, the early Christians prayed and the place where they were uh, staying was shaken. And I just kind of like that imagery there. But there are plenty of examples of both silent prayer, which Jesus often did, and public prayer, which Jesus did as well, and uh, the apostles and the early church did as well. Uh, the key here in either personal prayer, silent prayer, and public prayer is that it be done, I think there's two things. One is that it's sincere. Uh, it must be your prayer be from the heart and be very uh, something that, that is something that you believe in and are asking for sincerely. And two, it must be done reverently. I, don't, I think we need to approach God as holy and powerful and as the Father and Creator. And uh, that's the two basic principles I give for all prayers. Now, Jesus addressed prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 from the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look those together. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Okay? And the principle here is just, again, the, the communication between you and God and keeping that sincere and reverent. So both are fine, probably more done in private than in public. All righty. Uh, you wants to know why does God let people suffer with dementia and other problems? We mention every once in a while that the why questions, uh, why God <laughs> does something, are very difficult. Uh, what God says and what He's done, uh, He makes very clear, but He doesn't always tell us why. In fact, He very rarely tells us why. So, difficult answer. I do have a few answers uh, that might, might help this person. Uh, number one, it that are not number one, but just remember this is the age-old question. Everybody wants to know uh, if God's a good God, why does He let people suffer? 
well, you can get into circular logic there and, and argue yourself into a corner if you're not careful. Uh, but there are some good answers to that question. Uh, why does God allow people to suffer with dementia and other problems? Number one, this is a fallen world. This isn't uh, the Garden of Eden, the perfect world that God created. The man messed that up with sin, and the curse of sin came upon not only man, but also came upon the earth. And because of that, we have de disease and death and trouble. Uh, all of that's caused by sin in this fallen world. So a lot of the suffering and things that we have are because we live in a fallen world. Uh, secondly, Jesus, or God lets things happen. He does allow them to happen. He doesn't cause them, but He promises, and this is a great promise, that He'll cause good to come out of it. Whatever it is, He'll cause good to come out of it. It will work for good. And we may not see that at the time, but we will later. Uh, for instance, my mother passed away from dementia, from Alzheimer's, a uh, horrible disease. Uh, and going through it, you say, why? Uh, why would God let this happen? And there's no good answer. But uh, later, you will find that after this has happened to you, that you're much more able to help other people. Uh, Twenty years ago, if a friend of mine had a parent suffering from Alzheimer's, I didn't know what to say or do or how to counsel them or help them or anything. I, I could just say, I'm sorry. Uh, but now I know a lot about the disease. I know how it works in a lot of ways, and I'm able to help people and counsel them that, well, you need to do this because here's what's going to happen next, and you need to take this step. Uh, so there's good that's come out of it. The time doesn't seem like it, but God will cause everything to work for good. And thirdly, bottom line, final, and I know this is not encouraging, but there really are no answers. God doesn't answer this kind of question. He doesn't tell you why. You just got to trust God. It's about having faith in Him. The whole book of Job is about that. Job asked God, his friends asked God, why did this happen to Job? And at the end, God doesn't give him an answer. In fact, Job, God says, you, you really don't know enough to even ask me why. Uh, you just have faith in me and everything's going to be fine and it will be someday. So those are a few answers to that, but basically it's unanswerable. And if you're going through that kind of thing right now, uh, you have our sympathy and my empathy on that. Uh, but God will work things for good. And if we have faith in Him and trust Him, uh, someday we'll be in that land where we don't have those kind of problems and be beyond them. Take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We're kept on the air by the Churches of Christ and I'd like to thank uh, somebody each week and to mention where we come from today. Let's talk about the home church of Know Your Bible, uh, the Northside Church of Christ. It's right here in Wichita. This is where we broadcast or produce the program from. Uh, and if you live in the north end of town or, or just passing through sometimes, stop in at uh, the Northside Church of Christ. We worship at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And <clears throat> Always happy to have visitors that have, uh, view the program and watch us and want to stop in and say hi or just find out what Northside is all about. Uh, we'd be happy to greet you there. Of course, whatever community you live in, uh, there's Church of Christ near you. If you're looking for a church home, you'd be warmly welcomed to any Church of Christ. And uh, if you know somebody in a congregation near you, uh, tell them, hey, I've been watching that program, Know Your Bible, the one that uh, you guys help keep on the air, and I appreciate it. So. Spread the word. Thank the folks that provide the program for you. All right.
Toby, sin question here. Yeah, uh, the viewer asked the question, is obesity a sin? Uh, well, to answer that question directly, no. How obesity is defined is more has to do with a BMI chart. And you look at your height and you look at your weight. And you know those BMI charts always just tell me I'm too short. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't know what that but The uh, uh, obesity is defined as a certain level of uh, body mass index. And that's come up with, uh, I don't know who actually makes those charts. It gives us an idea. But no, there's no verse that has a specific you know, height and weight recommendation. And, of course, there are people in all sorts of different situations. Uh, I've known people who've gotten on medicine that they have to take, and it makes them gain weight or, in some cases, makes them lose weight. And so uh, there are no specific verses that deal with that sin. There are some, as with most topics, some biblical principles that we can follow. I, I think first is this idea of self-control. If you have a, an overeating problem, uh, that is uh, something that deals with, you know, the lust of the flesh and control controlling of your human appetites and uh, uh, that's uh, always a good thing to deal with and that's you know that there, there's many ways you can deal with that and so I would encourage you to, to do that and self-control is an issue not just for weight loss but for a lot of fleshly problems and that's a fruit of the spirit uh, Galatians chapter 5 talks about that we've got to practice self-control and and restraining ourselves when and where necessary the second principle is just this idea of being healthy uh, being able to to work, to uh, recreate, to enjoy life to its fullest with the energy that God's given us. And if we're going to enjoy life to its fullest, uh, we need to make sure that our bodies are taken care of. Uh, and with that leads me to the third principle, which is being good stewards of our bodies. Because uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have to take care of that. Now, it doesn't give us specific height and weight ratios and all of that. Uh, but, you know, principles of eating right and getting some exercise every day and getting plenty of rest and, you know, taking care of yourself. Uh, all of those are good things and you ought to do them. Uh, and then finally, I'll say don't obsess over it. Some people obsess so much over the number on a scale that it almost gets into the world of vanity. <laughs> so you can go too far with it. Uh, stay healthy. Take care of your body. Those are good principles uh, that are found in Scripture. Uh, let's read one verse on the screen together from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. It says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So if you can put some of those principles into practice, I hope it'll help you. All righty. Thank you, Toby. Viewer uh, says, Jesus taught people to keep the Ten Commandments. I think they're probably referring to the fact that we say occasionally that technically we're not under the Ten Commandments. That's part of the old law. And this viewer says, well, Jesus taught people to keep the Ten Commandments. Yes, He did. Let's look at the whole story. He lived under the Ten Commandments. He followed the Ten Commandments. He taught people to keep the Ten Commandments. When He went to the cross, He took the Ten Commandments with Him. They died with Him on the cross. Colossians 2.14, He nailed them to the cross. In the New Testament, nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated. We're told to do them under the new law. The one that's not repeated is to keep the Sabbath. In Colossians 2.16, Paul said, don't let people judge you about the Sabbath. You don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. So that's the whole story on it. Uh, we live under the New Testament, under the New Covenant. Uh, nine of the ten are repeated, so we certainly don't steal. We don't covet. We don't murder. We don't, don't do those things. Uh, but not because we're under the Ten Commandments, the old law. 
because we're under the Ten Commandments of the new law. For instance, if you refinanced your house and the old mortgage was almost exactly as the same, but you got a little lower interest rate and maybe you had to pay it on the 10th instead of the 15th, uh, you're living under the new mortgage. You're doing a lot of the things that were in the old mortgage, but you're living under the new mortgage. So uh, that's why we keep nine of the Ten Commandments. We're glad you've been back with, with us today for studying the Bible, and we hope you come back with us next week. Till then, you have a blessed week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.